Welcome to the Columbia Church Sermon Podcast. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Columbia. It's so great to see you all this morning. Good morning. Isn't today a beautiful weather day? Yeah, it just doesn't get any better than that. And it's the middle of August, and I think summer is my absolute favorite mm-hmm. season of the year. And one of the reasons I love it is the warm weather and the long summer days, but also it's vacation season. Absolutely. And we get an opportunity to travel and have some downtime. And so this week, David and I were talking about the different places people might enjoy going on vacation. And, and what we learned is, is that David would prefer to go to the mountains. And as you likely know, I enjoy the beach. And so we thought, we wondered what you all would enjoy and what your preferences were. So we thought we'd take a poll, yeah. right? So let's see, um, which do you prefer? If you prefer the beach, when we say beach, you're going to shout as loud as you can. Uh-huh. Yay! <laughs> what about the mountain? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's about half and half. It's about it's half about and half. Fair. But let's talk about mountains today anyways, even That's though right. we'd rather go to the beach. But okay. <laughs> so it makes you wonder, which did Jesus prefer? Did he prefer the mountain or the beach? Yeah. And I think he thoroughly enjoyed them both. Yeah. <laughs> because all throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus taking his disciples to the mountains and to the beach. Very good. Now, I'm not a serious mountain climber. I hike a little bit here and there. So I did a little bit digging around just to see, you know, what this sport is all about. And to my surprise, I found out it takes a ton of commitment. Um, it takes a lot of time, resources, and crazy amount of skills yeah. to be able to climb some of the most popular mountains throughout the world. Yeah. And so of the top five mountains that people want to you know, climb and conquer, the easiest, I am told, is Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. And it is... A mountain apparently that requires minimal skills, you mm. can apparently just walk the thing. Yeah, minimal, apparently. minimal. <laughs> but it still takes three to six months of training. See? <laughs> <laughs> and it will cost you $3,000, mm-hmm. and it's about 65% chance of success. Okay. Yeah. So it's not too bad. Not too bad. The next one is everyone's favorite. We all know this. It's the tallest mountain in the world. It's Mount Everest. And Mount Everest... In the Himalayas of Nepal and China, this one requires a whopping $45,000 up front. Wow. Yeah. Two to five years of dedicated training. That's impressive. Yeah. And you have about 66% chance of success. Well, what do you mean by success in this case? Like, well, well, if you what don't... What happens if you don't? <laughs> well, if you don't make it, apparently 14% of those, um, end in fatality. Ooh. So, yikes. Go to the beach, people. <laughs> But that's not even the hardest mountain, apparently. There's another mountain called K2, and it's in Pakistan. Mm. And that one is notorious um, among the mountain climbers. And it takes 20-plus years of training. This wow. is a lifetime kind of a thing. Wow. And it will cost you upwards of $50,000 plus, um, $50,000, and tremendous amount of skills. And it is highly likely that you will die trying. This is probably why we don't know about this mountain, right? (laughs) Probably not. So clearly, there is a cost to be paid when you set your heart on having a mountaintop experience. But as we know, nothing worth having is free. Mm -hmm. And these mountaintop experiences with Jesus, now they are priceless. Yeah, absolutely. 
And we know that people are attracted to mountains because of their, they are absolutely a showplace. It's, and as we've been talking about in this series, a showplace is any place that is an uh, interest, uh, that is known for its beauty or for its excellence. And certainly we're reminded that wherever uh, God shows up, wherever he adorns tangibly with his presence, that is a showplace as well. And when and where and how God shows up tells us something about who God is, and it helps us to know how we're supposed to show up. So mountaintops are definitely a a place of majesty and and beauty, and so today we're going to talk about uh, mountains and a place that uh, God showed up on a particular mountain, and we're going to learn how we can show up for others in that mountaintop experience. And so let's take a look at Matthew 17, 1 through 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So it's important to know a little bit about what was going on just prior to Jesus' transfiguration in order to understand how pivotal chapter 17 is in the book of Matthew. You see, back in 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had approached Jesus, and they were asking Jesus for a sign. And Jesus really didn't want to engage with them, and he basically told them, I'm not going to give you a sign, and the only sign that you're going to have is the sign of Jonah. And he walks away. So he gets into a boat with his disciples, and he's traveling across the lake. And when he's in the boat with them, he's warning them to be careful about the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When they get to the other side and they get out, they start to have a little bit more of an intense conversation. And Jesus begins to ask them some questions. And he's asking the disciples, who do the people say that I am? And their response is, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah or one of the prophets. But then things get a little bit more intense and a little bit more pointed. And Jesus is asking the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And right away, we know that Peter responds and says, well, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the the living God. For which Jesus replies, yes, you you are correct, Peter. And you know this because it was revealed to you by our heavenly father. And he names him Peter and call it the rock. And he says that I will build my church on this foundation for which the gates of hell will not prevail. And so at that moment, He warns the disciples not to tell anyone that he's the Christ. 
And it's here that we see that for the first time in Matthew's gospel, that he is beginning to explicitly tell the disciples what is going to happen. He's telling them that, that he is going to have to suffer at the hands of the chief priests, the, the, uh, the teachers of the law, and, and the Pharisees. And so when this happens, he's telling them that he's going to be killed and that on the third day he's going to rise. But when he says this, Peter says, no, this is not going to ever happen to you, Lord, and, and he's going to prevent this. For which we know Jesus then rebukes Peter. And now in today's text, we find that it's a week later, roughly six to seven days later, Jesus takes them to a high mountain by themselves. And in Luke's gospel, he tells us that specifically they went up this mountain to pray, away from the other people, away from the hustle and bustle of everyday ministry and life. What Jesus had in store for the disciples required their undivided attention. And perhaps, I'm assuming here, even after a full week's time to really process and to take in what Peter had confessed earlier that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I don't think Jesus was fully convinced that the disciples really got it. Mm. And so he says, enough is enough. I'm not going to be around the bush anymore. I'm going to take you and I'm going to show you something special. Mm. Because some things are just better experienced than explained. Now, which mountaintop this was, it's really unknown. Now, traditionally, we are told that it was Mount Tabor. It's located to the west of Sea of Galilee. And Mount Tabor is not part of a mountain range. It is a lone um, peak just jutting out in the middle of a relatively flat region. And so the view from the top of this thing would have been spectacular. But once again, the exact mountaintop where it took place is not really that important. What is, is of significance is that it took place on a mountaintop and that Jesus took them there. Because you see, mountaintops tend to be desolate places. It's a place that has little to offer in the form of provision for a weary traveler. The most you get is a really nice view of the valley below. And these desolate mountaintops are exactly the places where we have to only depend on God alone. And so we can also take a note here that at these mountaintop experiences are often a total surprise to us as well. Um, we are clearly told that Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. Um, it was not really planned, and the disciples did not just happen to bump into him up there. Like, oh, Jesus, you're up here too. Cool. Yeah. It, it, no, it was very intentional from the get-go. And so we can be assured that though our mountaintop experiences can catch us by surprise, they are not random. God has a very specific purpose for them, and at just the right time and at just the right place, God shows up. Jesus was preparing the disciples for something far greater than themselves because it's one thing to know of God and to be real and to, and to know that he's real and to firmly believe his promises, but it's another thing altogether to fully experience his glory and majesty. It's even more reason for us to be ready to be ready to trust and obey. So let's talk about being ready, about prepping a little bit. How exactly do you prepare for a mountaintop experience? Now, we have no indication that the disciples here had much time to prepare for this particular trip. And I am sure at this point that many of you who are preppers are just going crazy at the apparent lack of preparation. I mean, you're asking what kind of irresponsible leader would take his disciples on a potential perilous journey, a life-threatening journey you never know, if it was K2, without properly preparing them and having the equipment for the journey. 
I mean, or at least I would think you would take a thermos full of coffee for them. Right. Be nice. <laughs> Something. <laughs> so many of us here, some of us, wouldn't even tear, take, another, take another step of this mountain and Jesus, wait, 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 you got to, no. I'm going to double check all the equipment, and after I do that, I know it's going to kill me to take all this stuff, but I'm going to take it anyway. That's right. right. But perhaps that's the point. When we have Jesus leading the way, what more do you really need? I mean, after all, he's capable of feeding tens of thousands of people with just some bread and fish in the middle of nowhere. Mm. He speaks to the wind and the waves, and it obeys, them, obeys him immediately. What can Jesus not do? Mm. So the way I see it, the only preparation for going up a mountain with Jesus is to be ready to obey and to stay in lockstep with him all the way to the top. So we would all agree that there are some things that are better experienced than explained. And so we want to think about, like, how do we be ready for that experience? So as David said, Jesus provides what we need, but there is a place where we have to come in order to engage there. And it starts with expecting that God wants to meet us. Uh, And and when we think about as post-resurrection believers, we can sometimes fall into the trap of of not expecting that God actually wants to to meet us in in a very tangible um, way. And so we want to remember that the same God who who interacted and who uh, Peter, James, and John experienced is the same God that Moses encountered at the burning bush and at Mount Sinai. And he's the same God that stopped uh, the Apostle Paul in his tracks on his way to the road on to Damascus. And so we too should expect that God will show up in our lives as well. And so we also need to think about how we actively engage with God. And so when we expect that God is going to meet us and wants to meet us and show up there for us, we can begin to think about how do we make intentional time and space in our life to be able to actively engage with God. Because in order for us to actually experience God, we have to actively engage rather than passively observe what God is doing in the world. So this doesn't just happen. It means that we want to set aside this time and experience, just like the disciples. And so we're reminded that when the disciples said yes to following Jesus, what they were essentially saying was, yes, I'm going to commit to a daily dialogue with you. I'm, I'm living with you. I'm talking with you. I'm interacting with you, Jesus. And that's no different for us as believers. When we say yes to following Jesus, we're essentially saying, yes, I'm going to be in a relationship with you. And in order to do that, that requires a dialogue that we have. And for us, we call that a a habit of prayer. So when Scripture is telling us to pray without ceasing, what it is essentially saying is is that we're to have this ongoing dialogue with with God all day long. So David, how is it that you would do this? Like, how do you engage in this Prayer, pray without ceasing. What's one way? Uh, for me, I think <clears throat> it's while I'm driving. I, I like to drive, and it calms me down. But <clears throat> a lot of times, I find myself just kind of driving mindlessly. Mm. And so I'm challenged to kind of retake and redirect my attention while I'm driving to what the Holy Spirit is convicting me of in that moment. And um, 
although it's easy and tempting to just blast music and just listen and just kind of lose yourself in that moment, um, I also find that music can be a distractor of mm. hearing God's voice. Good. And so these days I find myself just turning the radio off and just going, God, what do you want me to see and what do you want me to hear? Who is it that you want me to pray for? And so would you direct my thoughts at this moment so I can pray for that person and to think about that person? Oh, that's good. So when we're thinking about these intentional times, we're, we can be looking for places where there's repetitive and routine and, and even some mindless tasks that we engage with throughout our day. And how do we redirect our focus and our attention to be very intentional about actively engaging in a conversation with God? And And, um, you know, a lot of athletes do this. Uh, We hear runners um, will have some of their best prayer times out running, weightlifting. Uh, For me, I like clipping in at at the cycle bar and when it gets cool and dark and just uh, attuning my attention and spending time and conversation with God while the person next to me might be riding really hard. (laughs) um, But there's other places, too. I think about sitting on my front porch in the early morning hours when it's nice out, or, or folding laundry, or, or making dinner, uh, or even walking a dog. These are all places that when we are actively and intentionally thinking about it, we can begin a dialogue with God. These are all opportunities, but the, we must choose to engage with God at that time. Absolutely. Because when we come to God in prayer and experience Him, we have an opportunity to answer the same question that Jesus asked of Peter. Who do you say I am? And we need to be ready to answer this question again and again and again. Because how we answer this question determines how others will experience God through us. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus knew some things are just better experienced than explained. So the story climaxes with the disciples standing in the Shekinah glory of God at the top of the mountain. And it's there where God is confirming that Jesus is Lord. And when we come face to face with the living God and we see the contrast between his holiness and our sinfulness, we'll have the same response that the disciples had, a simple response of falling down on our face. And so while when we fall down, there's this response to God's awesomeness that becomes all-encompassing and overwhelming, that we have this visceral response. And so we see in, just like the prophet Isaiah, throughout scripture, where he says, woe is to me, I am a ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so here we see the contrast in the extremes of the right response to a holy, a completely holy God is our Uh, falling down on our face of of recognition of this holy God. But in this contrast and in this moment on the top of the mountain, we see where the disciples encounter this holy God, recognize their own sinfulness, fall down in, in awe. And so we have this one extreme. And on the other extreme, we have Jesus who's standing there in the presence, who reaches down and touches them and pulls them back up to their feet, assuring them that there's nothing to be afraid and readying them for the mission of the valley below. So in this way, our mountaintop experiences solidify our faith in Jesus. Jesus needed to show them so that they might know him fully. Jesus is preparing Peter, James, and John for what is to come. 
and he knew they needed to be ready to be ready. Mm. Uh, Peter may have expressed his belief back in chapter 16 that Jesus is Christ, Son of the living God, but it is here that it is solidified on the mountaintop. Because you can try and understand something, or you can even try to explain something and share it with another person, but a mountaintop experience with Jesus is one of those things that you just have to experience for yourself. Mm. Let me give you an example. I truly believe that our Southwest Virginia leaders, a couple weeks ago, they did a fantastic job of training and preparing our students for the task at hand. And I am also fully convinced that all of our students felt truly confident and believed that they could do the job. But up to that very moment, that belief about what they could do was untested. Only after having had their skills validated and proven on the work site and actually having held those hammer and drive those nails in, now they can say with conviction that, you know what, I can build a deck, I can build a ramp. Yeah, that's good. And so when Jesus takes us up the mountain and we meet with God in this one-on-one intimate setting, while it might not be a literal mountain that he's taking us to, we can be assured that he's taking us to a place where we have, where he has our undivided attention. And so it's in those moments where, where something is more easily ex- experienced than explained. And this morning, we want to invite you to have a mountaintop experience with us or to come to the mountain with us. We want to give you an opportunity for a moment to set aside every distraction or any burden that you might have come in with today and to be able to sit in the presence of our holy God in recognition that he is with us. And so there's this form of prayer called centering prayer, and it goes harkens back to uh, the Desert Fathers in the early Christian monastic movement. And it's a type of prayer that is a practice of sitting in stillness. And it's a recognition that there is this holy God that has invited us into his presence and that he asks nothing of us but to come. And to, for us to recognize that there really isn't anything that God needs us to bring but to sit in his presence. So if you would join me, I'd invite you to sit in your seat with your both feet on the floor and to join me in a prayer posture of hands up or hands down. And I invite you to find a a centering word. Perhaps it's holiness or healer, provider, or sustainer. A word that is meaningful to you as you think of the Lord. And you're going to use this word so that, because in the next 60 seconds while we're doing this, your mind will likely wander. You might start thinking about what you're going to do next or where you're going for lunch or, boy, this is awkward, how long will this be? And so when that happens, use your centering word to just gently call yourself back to that place and to just sit in the stillness of the Lord. So let's close our eyes and and sit with God.
Holy and precious Lord, holy is your name. Thank you for meeting us in this space. Thank you for wanting to meet with us. Thank you that you call us your own. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that reminds us of your presence, that woos us back to you. Thank you for the precious gift of Jesus that has said that we have nothing to fear. Thank you that you are a loving God. Thank you for meeting us in this space. In Jesus' name, amen. And to help you as a little reminder, we have a prayer prompt for you to take uh, when you leave the sanctuary today. We hope that it will serve as a reminder to build your daily habit of prayer. Uh, So put it on your backpack, attach it to keys, or clip it to your um, belt loop or to your handbag. And our hope is that you will put it somewhere where it will remind you to be ready to be ready and to come back to that place of stillness with God. So it's clear in Scripture when we read in chapter 17 that when Jesus took the disciples up the mountain, it was for them. It wasn't to solidify Jesus' mission. He already knew what his, his call was and what his plan was. But he needed to make sure that they understood. And so when we look back in chapter 17, we see over again how Jesus led them, how he changed before them, how he peer, appeared to them, how a cloud overshadowed them and a voice spoke directly to them. We hear their reaction, and Jesus reassures them. And we know that when they uh, got up, they tell us what they saw when they opened their, their eyes. And so it was for them, and it is for us. Because Jesus knew that there were some things that were better experienced than explained, and he knew that this encounter with the living Lord was going to confirm for them that Jesus is Lord. And this was important because everything that Jesus had been telling them at this point needed to be solidified. And so he was about to make sure that Peter, James, and John knew that they were ready for the mission that was below. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to be ready to descend the mountain and show up in the valley for others. We must be ready to share what we've experienced. And if we're going to show up for others— so we want to be able to walk alongside our, our, our friends, our family, our colleagues, our, our classmates who might be going through tough times, who might need to be reminded by us that there is the hope and that there is a way and that Jesus is there with us. And so we want to remind them and continually point them back to Jesus as Lord. So I'd like to share a personal story. Now, of the many mountaintop experiences that we've had with God, and the one that stands out for my wife and me, took place in April of 2014. Uh, This was about 10 years into our marriage and still no children. And as you can imagine, one of the hardest things that I had to do as a husband was witnessing the suffering of my wife and not having the ability to do anything about it. Um, You wish uh, you could do anything and something to just take away the pain of not having a baby, but you can't. And when the years keep going by, even as a believer, you begin to uh, entertain all sorts of lies. You begin to question ourselves. Um, Were there sins in our past that we hadn't repented of? Um, Was God punishing us somehow? Or 
Does God think that we're somehow unfit to be parents of his children? We began to even question God's goodness. And on top of that, I was too young, too self-focused, and very naive about what my wife was going through. And only in hindsight did I realize that there were many instances where we avoided certain gatherings because it was a trigger, a, a reminder of what we did not have. Um, we were one of the first among our friends to get married, but by this time, many of our friends were having multiple children, and we had none. And so baby showers were very difficult for my wife. As happy as we were for our friends and their budding families, it was very hard to bear. Uh, we even avoided family visits, afraid of the inevitable question of, when are you going to have a baby? And one of the hardest was actually every Sunday, going to church, because, as you know, around the corner at church, there's tons of adorable little babies everywhere, toddlers and strollers, and that was not easy. And well-meaning parishioners would often encourage us, you should start a family. And it was very hard to keep a smile on our faces. All those years of waiting had affected us in, as individuals and as a couple and, and in every area of our life. Overall, it was not easy at all. But on that night in April of 2014, which started off as any, any other Saturday night, um, my wife was getting ready for bed. We were preparing to get ready for Sunday. And, and she let out this most horrendous scream that I've ever heard. And when I rushed over as fast as I could, I, I was confronted with what I would just describe as the most beautiful and yet the most heart-wrenching side of my life. My wife and I, um, we had basically experienced a miscarriage right there that night in our home. See, after so many failed pregnancy tests, uh, it became emotionally draining for us to, to even think of having another test done. Um, we didn't want to see that negative result. And so this particular case caught us by surprise because we hadn't yet confirmed our pregnancy. We just never imagined that pregnancy was possible for us. We just waited for so long and just, just kind of thought maybe just this won't ever happen for us. So it was crazy because part of us, we were elated in that you got pregnant. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we had to grieve the loss of our baby. So we experienced both life and death in the same time. Um, and to this day, we're not sure how in the world do we keep ourselves together. Because my biggest concern at that moment was to make sure that my wife was okay and that she wasn't going to lose it and that I wouldn't break down and not be of any help to her. But in the middle of this craziness, I had an opportunity to hold our precious baby. And now it took all of me to hold the lifeless body of our baby in my hand. And as I held our son, they told us that later, after they did some tests, that it was a boy. I was able to make out his newly formed fingers, his toes. He even had these little indentations for his future fingernails. I could see his eyes that were forming, his little cute nose, perfect lips. And I was even able to make out his heart. 
He was just perfect in every way. It was only later that we were told that he was 12 weeks old at this point. But even at that early stage of development, our son bore the fingerprints of God, and he truly was fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, standing there holding our son in my hand, I had to decide, what do I believe about our God? And you know what? In what was the most chaotic and unbelievable experience of my life, I also experienced the greatest peace that I'd ever known. It was as though God was telling me, David, do you see how you're holding your son in your hand? That's how I'm holding you. Our mountaintop experiences can catch us off guard at times. But God uses them to solidify our faith in him, to mold us into his likeness, affirming our faith in him yet again and again, readying us to be used in the valleys below. You see, it was through our encounter with the loving grace of our God that night that we got to help so many others who had never shared their grief, burden, and past pain. We would have never been able to sympathize with or know what to say to those who are hurting otherwise. We still don't know what to say, but we do know what it's like. And our tears are genuine because we've been there. And what's most important, let us not forget that our Lord Jesus Christ has been there too. That night, God made it very clear to us that he loves us and that in his perfect timing, we too will experience the joy of having a baby. And so on July 30, 2020, at the height of the pandemic, God gifted us with his beautiful child, Shiloh. Wow. Well, thank you, David, and to Sunny as well for the courage that it took to share such a deeply emotional and an intimate story in your life. And, and to be able to see in your story of how God's faithfulness showed up for you in those moments and, and how that solidified your faith and, and the way that you've been able to uh, be an encouragement to other people who have suffered the, the same kind of loss. And so we're reminded that God shows up on the mountains to meet us where we are so that we can then show up in the valleys for for others. You see, God never intended for us to go up the mountain alone or stay at the top of the mountain like Peter, James, and John wanted to do by building a booth. And sometimes we're tempted when we get in the presence of God that we think that's just where we want to stay and where we should be but it's actually something that God is doing in us to solidify our faith, to confirm our understanding that Jesus is Lord so that we can then turn around and go down the mountain and show up for other people. Because we know there's a world of hurting people that need to know and be reminded of the love of Jesus Christ and the hope that he brings into our world. You see, God shows up on the mountain for us so that we can then show up in the valley for others. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God that walks with us, 
but you show up and you take us to the mountain. And it's on that mountain that you reveal something to us that can't be revealed anywhere else. And we're thankful, God, that you chose us to reveal yourself to us. So help us, God, to have the same courage that David and Sonny had to descend the mountain to show up for others. God, you have given each one of us a story, a God story. Let us not ever think that it's not significant enough to share with someone else. And God, help us when it's so painful, it's hard to share. I pray, God, that you would continue to write our story in such a way that we're able to show up for others. Help us, God, to be the kind of church that, that is just that showing up in Jesus' name. So Lord, we love you and we thank you for the privilege that you have called us your own. May what we do and say bring honor and glory to you. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, my colleagues always bless me, but this summer I've really been blessed as they've presented the gospel in various ways. Would you join me in thanking them? And uh, especially David, who uh, if you have students, you know he is our student pastor. And if your students don't know him, they need to get to know him. He's fantastic. And of course, most of us probably know Laura. And uh, we've got a couple more weeks of this. So next week, we meet Christ on the road. And the following week, In the Storm, that one's going to be fun and interesting. Both will be, actually. And two weeks from today or three weeks from today, let's see, which is it? Whatever it is, I will close the series as we return to the garden, but this time in the book of Revelation. The following week, I will begin a two-part uh, vision ser- series, so I invite you to be here with, the, with us for that. And I promise you what's in store for the fall is going to be so much fun. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your summer. As you leave this place and you go out into the valley, you go and ignite passion for Jesus Christ from Metro Washington to the world. Have a blessed week and we'll see you soon. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Metro DC area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to columbiabaptist.org. That's columbiabaptist.org.